Hello, hello. Jeremy here. Welcome to the Special Needs Special Families podcast, where we raise awareness of the special needs community through interviews with families about life with children who have special needs. Today, we're meeting with Martin and Jackie Tott from London, Ontario. I'd like to welcome them to the mic. How's it going? Good, thank we're you. We're doing well, thank you. Thank you again for joining us. And would you please start by telling us a little about yourselves? Well, we're Jackie and Martin, been married 35 years. We currently live in uh, London, Ontario. We've lived all over Ontario, and we have three boys. They're all grown up. They're 31, almost 30, and 27. So they are empty nesters now. Yippee! (laughs) (laughs) So they have two sons named Mark and James, the the second oldest and third oldest, right? That's correct. And they have a condition which is not very common at all. Would you please explain what the name is and such? Sure. It's called hereditary cerebellar ataxia. The back of the brain is too small. The cerebellum controls the balance and smoothness of movement and some speech. They also have nystagmus, which is an involuntary eye flicking movement. These signs were worse when they were younger. They have never walked. They reached their milestones, but much, much later... I think James finally learned how to clap when he was about 18 months. Probably didn't sit up well until he was about a year old. We have an older son, Jonathan, so I know you're not supposed to compare kids, but I was telling the doctor, well, Jonathan sat up at six months. Why isn't James sitting up? So that kind of started the ball rolling on watching James. And somebody asked me at church, what's wrong with his eyes? And I just kind of assumed... Well, everybody in the family had glasses. Well, all four grandparents wore glasses. Martin and I both wore glasses. So we ended up going to an eye doctor and he explained about the nystagmus. And then we went to a pediatrician and he said there was something wrong neurologically. And I didn't know what that meant. So then we started going to sick kids to see a neurologist and Two and a half years later, Mark came on the scene and when he was about four months old, I noticed his eyes were flicking and I just about went through the roof. Uh, That started the genetic part of this. This is a genetic condition. Both Martin and I are carriers. Somewhere in our history, somebody had this, but we have no clue who. We have no idea if it was my 44th great grandparent or like we have no idea yeah but somewhere in our genetics this popped up and we both have the same genetic strain we both have the same genetic defect on the same gene jonathan is a carrier but he doesn't have the condition so both mark and james they had some speech problems definitely the eye problems completely the balance problems But personality-wise, they are spot on. James has been a flirt since day one, and Mark has been a little brat since day one. Mark is still mischievous and comes out with the best one-liners. Cheeky. Very cheeky. And James is huggy, mushy, lovey with everybody. So their, their personalities in that sense were not affected at all, but... Physically, they were very, very affected. So the, you know, having two in wheelchairs was quite a challenge for transportation and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And that would be most people used to, if they got a wheelchair van, it's so they have one spot for a wheelchair, not two. I could see that not being the norm and definitely make things more difficult. 
uh, just as a recap, what they're clarifying is that a part of the brain is a bit too small and that affects their balance. That's one of the biggest things, yes. balance and control. So that's why they haven't walked. It's not that they physically can't uh, stand up and walk on their own two feet. It's the fact that they can't stay up. Yeah. And in actual fact, they can walk along something. They have the strength to walk along a, a railing or a wall or, or you know, furniture or whatever, and always have been able to do that. They just can't walk freestanding. And now over the years, because they don't walk, the ligaments in their knees have tightened and they can no longer straighten their legs. So when they do walk, they walk with their legs bent at an angle because the, the tendons in the back of the leg have tightened. Mm, that's interesting. So I would have thought that when they sleep, they'd be straight out and uh, that would keep it stretched a bit, but no. No, not the case. <laughs> that's interesting. I didn't know that. I've met Mark and James, and I can attest to their personalities. They were a lot of fun to be around, and I would look forward to getting to see them at some point in time again. They brighten your life. So what are some of the difficulties? Uh, you mentioned one there, having two people in a wheelchair and for transportation aspects. Obviously, if you have one person in a wheelchair at home, I would expect you've already fixed up the home to handle a wheelchair right? I'm sure there was a bit of adaptation there. But then when the second one comes along, you've kind of already made some of those changes. When it was confirmed, Mark had the same thing James did. We actually moved from a three-bedroom semi in Bradford to a fairly large bungalow that we could make accessible in Alliston. We had to move to a bungalow because I was carrying them both up and down the stairs at the same time. And I thought if I ever fell, all three of us would be in a big trouble. Yeah. So there was the move and, you know, ripping out a garden so we could put in a wheelchair ramp. So a lot of physical adaptations. For the wheelchairs, we used to squish up their wheelchairs and put them in the back of an Aerostar, which was very cumbersome for me because I'm so short. And uh, if we were going out again, I would just carry them in the house instead of taking out the wheelchairs and like unloading everything. So physically for me, it was a lot of work, which in hindsight has probably caused some of my health conditions. I think remembering back to when the boys were four and five, I started noticing how different they were from all their friends. When you're one and two and three, everybody will get down on the floor with you. And then all of a sudden, their friends wouldn't play with them the same way they did a couple of years earlier. There was a, a larger change in how people reacted to them. So fast forward to when they were teenagers and somebody would actually come in and sit on the floor with them. I was really impressed with how people would treat them. It is, a, I guess, a spectacle looking at one family with two in wheelchairs. A lot of people thought we were a group home. What group home are you from? Yeah. So uh, some of the reactions were people staring and that kind of stuff. And I think that actually bothered me more than them. They just kind of, well, so... But because I'm the mom, I was more hurt that people were staring at my babies. I remember when they were really little going to baby showers and everybody else had perfect babies and I had broken babies. As a mom, a young mom at that point, yeah. that was hard. I mean, mm -hmm. that is so long ago. <laughs> it's easy to talk about it now. But if I had to talk about that yeah. 28 years ago, I couldn't. No. Uh, it was just too fresh and too painful. You know, hindsight's always 2020, and we can see over the years how 
their very first physical therapist was incredible with them. She was one of the most loving ladies I've ever met. She would pick them up and hug them and bribe them to do their exercises with cookies. And we've met some incredible people, even some of the doctors. We've had tons and tons of doctor's appointments gone to Montreal to see world-renowned geneticists and neurologists. And some of the people have been absolutely incredible with their encouragement. And that encouragement goes a long way when it's your baby that is having muscle tests where they put a large needle in their muscle to see if that muscle actually works. And your baby is laying there on the bed crying and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it except bribe them with chocolate. (laughs) I feel for you there. Yeah. When it's your baby, it's completely different. It's a part of you. And as a mom, it's, I mean, that's all I ever really wanted to be was a wife and a mom when I was a little girl. And then, of course, we also had to worry about Jonathan because Mark and James got so much therapy and all this attention. I'd feel bad for Jonathan And he would be left out of certain things. Like he would have to come with us because I couldn't leave him at home. We would go to pool therapy and physical therapy. And most of the time he just had to watch. Sometimes the physical therapist would involve him, which was wonderful. But it was a complete full-time job for me back in the day. I haven't worked outside the home for 32 years now. Well, it's basically been a full-time job for you for 29 years. Yeah. Since James started all the doctor's appointments. It's been a full-time job. um, There was no job that would have ever kept me having to take off so much time for doctor's appointments and all the speech therapy and the physical therapy and all that kind of stuff. Just for our listeners out there, we're getting there. But as you heard, it's been 32 years. And we mentioned they are empty nesters now. And so that's a bit of an exciting thing just recently in their lives. <laughs> so we're definitely going to be touching on that. But I just want to interrupt here for a moment because there is so much to unpack. And just a little bit you've talked there. You're just brushing over so many things because you've been parents for so long. And there's everything from dealing with the people staring at you. As a kids, I, I'd see them, they grow up with it. It's not a big deal. They get used to it. Obviously, for you, it's something new and you're more aware of the difference. And for listeners out there, that's something to try and be mindful of. I understand it's also it's a difficult thing because if you stand out, you stand out. It's going to attract a certain type of attention. But at the same time, I would say that we need to try to be sensitive about what the other person's going through. And if you're just assuming like the group home thing, that's hurtful not intentional. It's just one of those types of hurts that happens lots of times unintentionally. An interesting comment on the staring because James and Mark, they, they knew what they had and they weren't shy. So if, for instance, we were in the mall, you know, in a food court or something, and, and there's a child on the next table or two tables over staring, we say to James, James, go roll over there and say hi. So he'd roll over there and say hi. And, and they just kind of, they didn't know what to do. I right? think a lot of it stems from they don't know what to do with a kid in a wheelchair. Yeah. And they don't know why. Well, exactly. You know, one, one little girl said, did you break your leg? They yeah. wouldn't know why. And yeah. so I would finally say to Mark and James, go tell them. Yeah. So I think if your child is able to, as a piece of advice to somebody who's listening, who has a child and they've just learned about a disability of some kind. If the child is able to, have them be willing to and able to describe what their disability is because it will break the ice with other kids. Yeah, you're still going to get stared at. That's inevitable. But if you can then go over and say, hey, how are you? My name is, 
you know what I have? Or do you want to know what I have? Or, you know, something along that line. Yeah, there's so many things that you just talked about there that people can draw a lot from, like the fact about your older son who doesn't have a disability. And I've heard a few other stories about the older child getting the same attention. And even if they understand, it's still hard for them. And if they are going through a depression, like when they're older or so, that's a factor. And that makes it even harder on the parents because their hands are tied. And so for those who are outside of those families, this is something to consider. Maybe some of us, uh, you listeners out there might be saying, hey, you know what? I'm listening to this and I want to be a therapist or I want to be a doctor or something on that line. And maybe you are already a doctor or a therapist. These are some things that can help bring your service to the next level if you take in mind some of these things that are coming out from these stories involving the siblings of the people you're working with, because this is a family unit. It's not just one person. That's kind of the purpose of this podcast is it's not just the kid in the wheelchair. It's the whole family. They're all attached to that in different ways, and they have different struggles that result. Mm -hmm. So on a happier note, you want to talk a little bit about them leaving home. That I know was a big thing. Yeah, it has been um, a really good change for all of us. Because of their disability, they were home much longer than the average person. And I was definitely getting worn out. And COVID made it even worse, way worse, because their day program was canceled. So they were home 24-7, 365 for about 20 months. And we couldn't even go to the mall because they only wanted one person of the family to be in the store. And because of the way the group home system is in London, there was no spot for residential housing for a permanent place. The only other choice I had heard of and seen some parents do was a nursing home, which was definitely not what I was prepared to do. So when we started talking about this getting your own apartment that was wheelchair accessible, They were both very interested and it took about maybe three weeks a month before they found their own sort of. I think it was a little lonely in terms of how quiet it was with nobody around. I still went over every day for probably a month and a half and then started taking a day or two off a week, but they have done really well. And it was never that they didn't know how to do dishes or how to make a cup of tea. They couldn't hear because our kitchen's not wheelchair accessible. They can get in our house, but the rest of it's not really perfect for them. So their apartments are small, but we'll right up to the kitchen, we'll right up to the sink. They can make their tea in the sink, in a big mug. They do their own dishes. They can roll right over to the microwave with their bowl on their lap. They have done really well. They still enjoy our company. We go over probably a couple times a week now. We did have two workers one night a week each to do supper with them, but that has come to a bit of a close because of COVID and Christmas holidays and stuff. They do have some support from VON for showers. Sorry, uh, for those of us who don't know, what's VON? Victorian Order of Nurses is a personal support worker, which is funneled through the local health integration network. So if that does get canceled because of COVID, which it has, Martin has gone over to shower them. But I never thought we would be empty nesters. So it was like, Mm -hmm. really? It's finally going to happen? finally here? (laughs) I mean, like I said, James will be 30 in not much more than a month. So it was definitely kind. And he even told people at church, they were like, you're getting your apartment? 
And he would say, well, I'm almost 30, you know. So timing was really good. And I wanted to get this done. Well, I still had some energy and years left to be able to go over and help them cook or whatever. We still take some meals over, but it has been a really good change for all of us. When I was contacting them for this interview and I, they told me this, it made me very excited because I knew how big of a thing that was. In fact, I probably don't understand how big of a thing that it was because I haven't had to live through it all. <laughs> you will eventually. Yeah. <laughs> this is something they're still going through today. This is still something they're dealing with today. You know, they only moved a few months ago and they're still learning new skills like working around the kitchen and trying to make some of their own meals, even if that might be just in a microwave. Again, and they can't walk because of balance. But even just carrying a bowl of soup is a big thing because their hands are shaking. And they yeah, they have to push the wheelchair. So what do you do with the bowl of soup when you're pushing the wheelchair? You have to put it on your lap. But even just moving something that's hot, they aren't as steady as yes. the average person. Something that we all will do with no thought or process. Yeah. They're pouring in the yeah. sink. So what they spill just goes down the sink. Exactly. They're still figuring out engineering different ways of being able to do things on their own. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even even something like um, a container of milk, we just pick up the jug of milk. They can't do that. They have it all on the floor. So we put a little bit of milk in a smaller container so they can handle that to put in their tea. Certain things like if something needs to be cut, we cut it for them first and put it in a container and put it in their fridge. Like for cheese and crackers for James, he can take his box of crackers out of the cupboard and we've already opened it for him and then just put a clip on it, something he can handle. And he can open a container that's got chunks of cheese because a knife is rather dangerous when you have no balance. But they've adapted pretty well to life on their own-ish without mommy and daddy right handy. And if they do need something, they'll let us know and yeah. we'll go over when we can, you know, fairly quickly. Another really important thing is they have laundry on their floor down the hall and they have learned how to do their own laundry. Now, we still do bring some of it home, but they can do their own laundry and have done their own laundry. And they'll bring it back to their apartments and sort it between the two of them. And, you know, how well it gets put away. Well, who knows? But but they're doing it. They are still learning how to take care of their own place. Yes, yes. <laughs> And something I've learned is it doesn't have to be folded perfectly. If it gets folded <laughs> kind of halfways, it's not the end of the world. So they've adapted. Now, yesterday, they wanted me to bring their laundry home. You know, they didn't have a, enough each for a load. Yeah. But I brought it home and did it together. And, you know, it's all about learning the independence. It's all about adulting. And we all have to go through it. Some of us just go through it differently. And a little later than others. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Timing can be a bit different as well. I'm enjoying listening and hearing about some of the successes you've had overcoming some of these challenges. Again, to people out there, the purpose of this is to help people understand and realize that children with disabilities, you know, one disability doesn't stop them from doing other things. And I'd also challenge in that sense that they can do more quite often than you think they can. When they moved out, now they're learning how to cook and do different things that they weren't able to do due to your home being not ideal. But I'm sure at some point their level of independence is going to go a lot higher. 
but it comes with some ingenuity and some thinking like you talked about, okay, they can make their own tea. You figured out a way they can do it. They can't open the package of crackers. Well, maybe I'll figure out a way that they can on their own in a safe manner, but it might require some engineering or making things. And so these are things that we again want to make people aware of our listeners out there. And maybe you're an engineer, maybe this is something that speaks to you, and maybe you will want to go out and find people that are in a similar situation and help make items and things that uh, will make their lives easier. Like I've heard there's a spoon out there that if your hand shakes, it keeps the spoon steady. Yeah, they had those when they were little. Part of their balance was in their hands. It was worse when they were little. Yeah. They had weighted vests to keep their trunk still. When they were sitting, sometimes they would just fall over. So they would have a weighted vest to give them some stability. You can get weighted mugs, weighted cups, a spoon that has the little hook on it. So when we started thinking, okay, how are we going to do this with the milk? Well, they can't handle the whole thing, but they can handle a little jug. They can't handle a great big kettle and a whole teapot, but they can put their mug in their sink and they have smaller teapots, smaller kettles only put a little water in it. So it's just about adapting to the requirements of the person that needs Like me, I'm so short, I can't reach anything up high. So I either have to get Martin or a chair. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we all need help in some ways, right? Exactly. You were talking about the jug. I was just thinking, well, what if they had one of those containers in the fridge with a spout on the end? And so you put the milk into that container for them, and then they've got a week's worth of milk, and they just have to take that jug that they use to carry it in, and they can push down on the lever, and boom, it fills the amount they need. And then that way you're not filling up the jug every time for them. Just little things like that can reduce how much help is needed. So as we uh, look to close out this interview, what is one piece of advice and or encouragement that you have for others facing the unknowns of dealing with someone with special needs, whether that be parent or whoever? So I would say surround yourself with a couple of people who know you and how you're feeling before you even say a word. I had three or four really good friends back in the day. They could just look and tell if I was doing okay My one friend, Lynn, who has unfortunately passed away, we were really close when our kids were all little. Her youngest daughter is just a month older than James. So they were in the nursery at church together. And her and James are still really close. Lynn was really supportive in all the trips to sick kids and had another really, really good friend, Muriel, who would just come over and take one of the kids out of my arms. Like I didn't have to say a word. She knew exactly. I think finding a friend at church or wherever you meet friends, a grandma. Martin's mom was incredible. When I first heard something was wrong, I called her and she prayed for us right on the phone. Martin's mom was one of my best friends. So I had a a pretty good support system. Try and find some friends. You'll only have a couple, probably friends that can just look at you and say, you know what, you want to go out for coffee? Or can I I take the boys for a day? Or Lynn would come over and do my dishes. Things like that. It's so important to have some kind of support. And because James and Mark's personalities are so fabulous, people were drawn to them. One little boy at camp, this little boy said to me, 
I never knew a handicapped kid could be so much fun. <laughs> I think looking back, it was hard. Different things are harder now in terms of I'm almost 60 and I just, I can't push wheelchairs anymore. So that's a challenge for me, realizing that as I age, I can't do this anymore. So then moving out was perfect timing. But knowing you'll have down days, there were days, I think the first year I cried every day, you'll have days where it's hard, it's just going to be hard. But then something will happen like this little boy coming in saying that he never knew James could be so much fun. And that just makes it all worthwhile. Uh, Martin and I believe in a really big God and that for us, our faith has been incredible. Most people at our churches have just gone crazy over Mark and James. Mark and James greet at our church. And when we were allowed to hug pre-COVID, everybody was hugging them. So there's going to be down days. We all have them. But there's going to be some incredible moments. Uh, some kind of success will happen. James won the Drama Award in grade 12. And the entire auditorium went nuts for him. And I mean, I'm available to talk to. If you are a brand new mom and something is going on, I would be more than happy to talk to you because I remember how much hurt I felt when something was wrong with my baby. But I'm years past that and I can see the fabulous things that have happened in Mark and Jane's life. So I would just say, be prepared for the down days, but bask in the glory. When Mark finally learned how to go on the potty, the entire town of Alliston heard us cheer. So celebrate even the little things. Mark finally learned to tie his shoes when he was 17 and all of London heard us. <laughs> it's those kind of things. I mean, normally you celebrate happy birthday, but for certain things with a special needs kid, you go beyond and really celebrate those milestones. I think it has a lot to do with what you put in, you will get out. And for the average kid, you know, learning to tie shoes or go on the potty, while it is a milestone, it's not so much what they haven't done, it's what they have done given their abilities. And that's a context thing that I think all of us as parents have to remember because every kid is different and you have to challenge them according to their uh, capabilities, essentially. I would add one more thing, and, and we've been talking about the, the small victories. Yes. I went back to school when I was in my 40s to become a teacher, and most of my teaching has actually been in special education, working with students with developmental disabilities. And I would say that the small victories, the micro learning is what we have to celebrate as teachers. But as a parent with a child with whatever disability you're dealing with, it's those small victories, those micro gains that you celebrate. I had a student this fall who tied his shoes. I'm in high school now, tied his shoes for the first time. And he's not physically disabled. He just never could get it. Should have seen his face when he tied his shoes for the first time. So as a parent, look for those mini victories. That's what you need to do. I appreciate that, Martin. Again, want to thank you both for having come on this podcast. We've learned a lot. I wish everybody could get to meet Mark and James because they just brighten your life. I want to thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. If you've made it this far, I want to thank you for listening, and I hope you were blessed by what was shared today. I look forward to bringing you another guest next Monday to share their wisdom and experience. If you are in a family with a special needs member, please reach out to me 
I'm on the lookout for more interviewees and would love to be given the opportunity to chat with you. Also, if there's some new moms out there who would like to take Jackie up on her offer to contact them, please contact me via the email in the description below. Goodbye for now.